Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome, everyone, to the SG Engage podcast. Today, we are going to cover BlackBot's Luminate online benchmark report and some of the key takeaways and what you can use moving forward for your year-end fundraising and into 2022. My name is Mike Snooze. I'm a senior team lead on our professional services team. I'm joined by two other folks from our professional services team, Rachel Ahrens, who's a principal strategic consultant, and Deb Ashmore, who is also a principal strategic consultant. Also joined by Eric Lever, who is a principal customer success manager at BlackBaud. We're going we're gonna to go through some of the highlights here. I'm going to talk about one-time online giving. Rachel's going to talk about email engagement. Deb is going to cover monthly giving. And Eric is going to talk about trends that we saw with different sectors. But before we jump into that, Eric's going to take us through some background. And if you're unfamiliar with the report, what goes into the Luminate online benchmark report and give you some quick information. And then we'll start talking about some of the key, key findings that we had during the report. Thanks, Mike. Always really excited about the benchmark report, and this year is our 14th annual publication. Uh, we do this work to help detect and surface trends in online fundraising and email engagement. And this year's data included information from over 900 uh, Luminate customers. Uh, and collectively, these 900 organizations raised over $1.8 billion online handled 24 million transactions and sent just sort of a mind, mind-boggling 3.9 billion emails out of Luminate. For those of you that have been following the benchmarks year over year, this year's data is a little bit different. Um, historically, we've collected the data from a fiscal year standpoint, so a July 1 uh, to June 30th, bec but because of the uh, unique challenges that 2020 presented, uh, we wanted to look at that data from a calendar year, so January 1 through December 31st. So we went back a couple of years, reanalyzed you know, previous year's data so that we could look at the year-over-year -year trends from a calendar year perspective instead of a fiscal year perspective. Um, so that means uh, it'll be useful for looking at trends, uh, but you won't be able to fully compare the data from um, this year's report with the same metrics from previous reports. Ultimately, I always like to have nonprofits know that the best benchmarks are your own. Um, collecting your own data, looking at your own data year over year is really going to be uh, the thing that's going to help you move the organization forward. But that said, using the benchmarks and looking at the year trends in this report can be really helpful to look at your performance and figure out how um, you're comparing against peers and what you can be doing to improve your performance. Uh, so with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Mike. Thanks, Eric. I'm going to talk about one-time online giving and some of the key takeaways and trends that we saw. And 2020 definitely was a different year. So hopefully we do give you some meaningful takeaways. We, we probably won't see another year like 2020, but what can you learn? What can you use for your upcoming year and campaign and into 2022? One of the key takeaways is that we saw that 11 of the 12 sectors saw an increase in one-time online giving. Only health services and research had a decline in one-time giving. That was nearly 19%. 
But one of the interesting things about that sector is monthly giving, also known as sustainer giving, increased 8%. Deb's going to talk more about that, but we saw even some of the organizations that had a, a decrease or a slight increase in one-time giving, their monthly giving still grew uh, much more than their one-time giving did. We also saw that people gave more gifts in 2020, but not necessarily much larger gifts. The number of one-time online gifts increased nearly 16%, but the average gift size for that one-time gift only increased about 3%. So people gave more gifts. Uh, the revenue also increased about 16% as well. It wasn't necessarily that they gave larger gifts though. And the growth that occurred, it was really the growth of food banks, faith communities, and public broadcasting that fueled that growth with food banks being the headliner. They grew year over year, 453% in 2020. Faith communities grew 49%. Public broadcasting grew 33%. And when we analyzed one-time giving overall in 2020, it was really only slightly up in January and February of 2020. One-time giving only grew about one to 3% during that time, but then March 2020 happened and COVID shut everything down and we moved our lives online. And it was during that early part of COVID's emergency giving window that really set the tone for online giving. As I mentioned, food banks grew a, a eye-popping 453% last year, but it was really the spikes they saw in March and April that drove that increase. March, their one-time giving grew year over year over 1,000%, and in April, it spiked 2,813%. So just astronomical growth that food banks saw in March and April and we saw similar things for the next two sectors too, for faith communities and public broadcasting, not, not that level of a spike, but their largest increase year over year was in April. And so it was those organizations who had the biggest increases in the early part of the emergency giving window that, that really had the biggest increases overall. And within those three, we saw that first-time donors, first-time online donors grew twice as fast as repeat online donors. So they may have been out there acquiring more online donors, doing ads. We saw channel disruption in, in 2020 where they maybe weren't able to do canvassing or they weren't able to do some traditional type of fundraising, but they were able to acquire first-time online donors twice as much as repeat online donors. And the other sectors didn't do that. So the, the couple of key trends is that they started early, they were able to acquire new first-time online donors more so than the other sectors. The other sectors had their biggest spikes from May to July and then October to December. And so perhaps maybe some nonprofits who were on the fence and asking, should we fundraise during COVID, during, during March and April? Maybe they were finally nudged to move forward and start asking their constituents for donations. In May, uh, Giving Tuesday now happened on May 5th, if you remember that. And so the other sectors saw their spikes in May through July and then October through December. And those sectors also grew their online giving, but not as much as the top three of food banks, faith communities, and public broadcasting. And so as we get into what are the lessons learned for 2020, that you can, you can take away and, and use moving forward. 
I think the biggest one is be prepared as much as you can for emergency giving. Have communications ready to the extent that you can have them, templates, ads, whatever you need to, to do that you can plug in whatever is happening and get those communications out. We've seen with past emergencies, the there is a limited window for emergency giving when disasters strike. And, and COVID was longer. COVID stretched out from March into April and May. But it's best to be on that early end of the emergency giving window to get those communications out to really to really be in front of your constituents and your and your donors, and 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 they responded generously last year. People people gave, um, but you have to be getting the communication out when an emergency happens. So I think that was one of the biggest takeaways for me. I'm going to turn it over now to to Rachel Aarons to talk about some of the email trends that we saw as well. I know we, we, we also saw, I'll just mention real quick here too, that that within the within the one-time giving, email fundraising increased significantly. Email, email fundraising increased 42% last year, and that really helped to fuel the online growth. And as, as I said, as other channels were disrupted, as events couldn't happen in person, as canvassing and in-person meetings couldn't happen, we really saw people transition and 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 move that to to email giving uh, fundraising from that perspective. So I'll turn it over to Rachel now to talk a little bit more about what we saw from an email engagement perspective in 2020. Thanks, Mike. As if the excellent fundraising news wasn't enough, we can also enjoy some really exciting email performance success uh, year over year. We had a pretty astronomical increase, 29% increase in total clicks. 22% increase in total actions. We had a 17, almost 18% uh, increase in conversion rate, and we saw nearly 10% decrease in unsubscribes. So across the board, the news is really great for email performance. Uh, while we don't always know what causes these incredible improvements year over year, we can infer a few things. House file acquisition quality is high. And I'll speak just a little bit more about um, how house file composition changed year over year in just a bit. Um, you know, we can also assume that content quality was higher, segmentation was on point, improved data quality overall. And like Mike mentioned, a lot of people were starting in March 2020, they were sitting at home in front of their computer screen. So we might need to track this uh, increase in email performance in years to come to see if it's notable, but that's one hypothesis. One surprising thing that we saw was that total house file size increased 7%, but usable, which is the number of email addresses that are opted in to receive email, only increased about 4%. Great. Thanks, Rachel. And we'll come back at the end to wrap up email, but a lot of a lot of interesting things. And I, I know the, the Apple update is top of mind for folks. So um, appreciate the update. And now we're going to turn it over to Deb Ashmore, who's going to talk about monthly giving and some of the trends that we saw there. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, so prior to joining BlackBot, I worked in public media for many years. And as some of you may know, public media was at the forefront of the sustainer revolution in the United States. So I got to see firsthand how sustainers can 
just transform a fundraising program and indeed an entire sector. So I was super excited uh, to see that once again, sustainer giving growth continued to outpace one-time giving growth in 2020, as Mike told us. One-time giving revenue had its own significant increases last year, just, just did fantastic. But sustainer giving still grew at a faster rate at just under 18% year over year. And this is in fact the ninth consecutive Luminate online benchmark report that shows monthly giving revenue growing faster than one-time giving. So not only are we seeing this year over year growth, but sustainer giving grew consistently each month. So while one-time giving spiked and plummeted throughout the year, right, as it will, right, with during large campaign periods like Giving Tuesday or end of year giving, and certainly with emergency giving of which there was much in 2020. So that one-time giving can spike uh, month to month, but sustainers grew consistently between 14 and 20% every month. So this is a long-term trend that I expect and hope to see continue as more organizations across all sectors um, continue to strongly embrace sustainer giving and grow those programs. Now, I want to be, I don't want to be, but if I may be, just a bit of a wet blanket for just a moment. Um, One of the uh, surprising um, things for me in the report and reviewing the data was that just one in 40 online donors made a sustainer gift in 2020. And this is certainly a number I know I'd love to see grow. I'm sure you would too. Um, So um, I wanted to bring in a little bit of information, a little bit of things that we have learned from uh, working with a group of organizations in our sustainer summit benchmarking group. It's a group of organizations that gather annually to talk about sustainer, uh, sustainer giving, compare their data results and can, you know, and talk about how they, how they've reached the successes that they have. Um, so there's two ways to grow your sustainer program, right? You can acquire donors directly to sustainer giving or convert your one-time gift donors to sustainers. Both are extremely important. Um, and those successful programs do both. But I will say that those that grow the fastest uh, have the most robust direct acquisition strategies, right? So very important to think about how am I not just acquiring new donors online, but how am I really encouraging those new donors to come on uh, as a sustainer or monthly donor right from the get-go? So how did these organizations do that? Well, again, just focusing on the online component, which is our focus today, the sustainer ask is really just the optimized offer, right? It's the pre-selected or highlighted choice on those online donation forms. Um, There is brief language to make it clear that they are asking for ongoing monthly support, right? Clarity being very important, but they also explain why sustainer giving is best for all, right? The donor, the organization, and the mission or those served. The giving levels that are offered on these online donation forms make sense for monthly giving, right? Now, I'm not going to tell you what that level should be. You know your donors. um, You know what levels you typically acquire a one-time gift donor at. So use that to guide your suggested levels for sustainer giving, right? If you generally see new donors come on board with a one-time $35 gift, then a $30 per month ask is 
probably a little bit too high for you, but that might be exactly right for another organization. So use what you know about your donors to determine the best monthly ask. And of course, digital advertising, which I hope you're, if you're not already doing, you're thinking about, it's definitely, definitely a key component of successful direct acquisition strategies. Um, if you're using digital advertising, use analytics to identify people that are most likely to become sustainers and target those asks. And of course, following a year like 2020 with all that one-time giving, uh, that significant growth in one-time gift donors, I do hope conversion is a big part of your strategy for 2021 and beyond. Um, so how do you convert those one-time gift donors? Well, you ask and you ask right away and you ask often. You ask everywhere. Um, some organizations ask during the donation process, right, with little one-time pop or little pop-up boxes that happen during, uh, during, that, um, uh, during that gift-making process. Some organizations ask during the thank you series, whether it's email or direct mail or my favorite, both. Uh, the most successful do ask within the first 30 days. And I'll tell you that window keeps getting more narrow. Uh, it used to be six months was the best practice. You know, now it's within 30 days. You know, I, I, it would not surprise me to see that keep getting a shorter and shorter time period when we're, uh, the best practice is to ask a new single gift donor to convert to one time. So there you go with that. I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to Mike. Thanks, Deb. And, and I think those are really important uh, points and advice for, for organizations to hear, to grow their monthly giving program. I, I loved what you said about knowing the the analytics behind your acquisition sources and and even some of the most successful organizations i've worked with they they get into not only how you acquired them but then also tracking the retention rate or tracking the lifetime value by different acquisition sources to see what really is your your highest quality acquisition sources and where to invest the money so um, really, really great advice. Appreciate your your input here. And we're going to turn it over to Eric, who's going to talk about some of the trends that we saw in different sectors in the report. Thanks, Mike. So I'm going to talk about two different ways uh, that we have segmented data inside of the report. So one is by sector or by vertical, and that would be a, the the types of organizations, right? So we lump our animal welfare groups together, our disaster and international aid, faith communities. There's roughly 12 different groups that we that we monitor. We also monitor by size of organization. So I have a couple of observations based on the on the size of the organization. But looking at, at groups, um, I want to sort of use a couple of examples to reiterate some of the points um, that, that you all have brought home, right? So if we look at Look at food banks, um, which outperformed industry in all sorts of manners last year. Um, but I think they really succeeded by keeping an eye on their metrics. So, you know, their number of fundraising emails sent went up 42%. And if you think about that from a recipient of those emails, if I received 42% more email from an organization, uh, I might be tempted to unsubscribe. Um, so, you know, when when we look at their benchmark numbers, their unsubscribe rate was slightly higher than industry at, at um, 0.17 versus 0.14. But that would be a number as you start ramping up your email sends to really pay attention to make sure that you're staying in those bench, you know, in line with what other organizations are doing. Um, two other numbers that I think 
organizations that were being smart about this looked at really carefully was the click rates and conversion rates. And again, food banks outperformed the industry in both of these areas. So when you sort of couple the unsubscribe rate and you and you look at the click rate and the conversion rate and you see all those numbers trending positively, then you can have confidence that it's okay that you're really ramping up uh, the number of emails great example of how you can use these benchmark data and and your own numbers to guide your performance when you're in these types of disaster situations. Switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, higher ed. Higher ed performed you know, very similarly to our benchmark numbers in terms of the online revenue and revenue per usable email. But where they underperform against most other organizations is the percent of list that donates. And if you think about it, other other verticals are able to do acquisition from a variety of sources. But higher ed, you're pretty much limited to those who have attended the institution. This is a, a, a segment that really pays attention uh, to to acquisition and really nurturing uh, their their donors, right? Really building that major donor strategy, and this is an area where, um, where you know, they underperform on the percentage of lists that donates, but they make up for that massively by having um, really high average online transactions from first-time donors, and they actually are able to, and you know, we saw in this year's report, have their repeat gifts be at a higher level than their first, um, their first-time gifts. So, really speaks to how they're. Um, paying attention to that retention and major donor strategy. And the last group that I wanted to highlight here was just disaster in international aid. And this is a segment where we've traditionally seen swings in their income, uh, depending on, you know, is it a disaster year or is it a non-disaster year? And that means different things to different types of organizations. But where we've seen these organizations compensating for those swings is really investing in their sustainer strategy. And uh, this is one of the, the verticals that uh, is performing very high as sustainer revenue as a percentage of total with um, nearly 20% of, of um, their revenue coming in from sustainers. So switching gears for a second and looking at some of the lessons learned from different sizes of organizations. So smaller organizations, and we'll use a, a list size underneath 250,000, uh, they saw fundraising revenue increase pretty dramatically, like roughly 20%. Uh, but our larger organization, so over 250,000, saw smaller smaller increases of, of 5%. And that just shows you know, these smaller, more nimble organizations really being able to move uh, quickly, be in touch with uh, their, their donors on, a, on a, a little bit more of a personal level than what can sometimes happen with some of the larger organizations. But if we look at sustainers, that's an area where larger organizations were able to pivot and invest a little bit more. So smaller organizations, we we see have experienced slower sustainer growth. Um, the percentage of of revenue um, from sustainers was was basically flat. Uh, but once you start looking at those larger organizations, say that two hundred fifty, five hundred thousand and up. Uh, the 500,000 and up and million and up, we saw between a six to 13% uh, growth. Um, so again, larger organizations able to really invest in building those sustainer programs. 
uh, as we really pay attention to um, the metrics that matter, right? What are those in engagement? What are those click rates? And what are the conversion rates? So back to you, Mike. Thanks, Eric. We're going to wrap up with a, a few quick takeaways here. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the different email metrics and some of the some of the new metrics we have in this year's report is being able to benchmark yourself against the unsubscribe rate. So I know that sometimes is uh, anytime you some organizations see an unsubscribe rate, they there's a, a little bit of panic maybe from some in the organization. It's perfectly normal. You're going to have an unsubscribe rate. People are going to unsubscribe from your emails. So that's in there. The fundraising conversion rate, fundraising email conversion rate is in there as well. So those are a couple of new ones. With those related to metrics that we're looking at with the Apple update, I want to go to Rachel, who's our internal subject matter expert on email deliverability. Can you give a, a, the folks listening a quick update on how they can proceed with the with Apple's recent updates that's going to impact the reliability of open rates. Sure. So there's two main components of the new Apple privacy announcement that are going to affect uh, our email programs. One of them is the hide my email functionality, which will allow fake email addresses to be added to your database. So I think that the way the best way to combat that will be to always make sure that you have an optional opt-in or opt-out for any action taken online and that way your database is far less likely to get gummed up with a bunch of fake email addresses because your subscribers or your the person taking action isn't kind of cornered into opting in when they maybe don't want to and then the second part of the apple privacy announcement that's concerning to folks is the in artificial inflation of opens. Um, what you'll begin to see, and actually I, I attended a webinar last week where it just tracked the first two weeks of adoption of the new um, Apple ISO 15, and it's already beginning to show a bit of an artificial inflation of opens, and that will also affect your open rates and total opens, so it's both of those. So we, we can no longer assume that those are accurate. And a lot of us have been relying perhaps a bit too heavily on opens as a measure of our engagement in our email programs. So I think as we look to the new year, we'll definitely be transitioning to a click and action-based email performance tracking. But in the meantime, and I think a lot of my clients have questions about what do I do for end of year? What do we do right now? My advice is to stay the course. You've been suppressing, hopefully, um, those on your list that haven't been engaging in your email program that improves your email performance and it also incre increases your sender reputation. I don't have any indication from Gmail and the other mailbox providers that they are making changes. So my advice through end of year is to stay the course, continue suppressing. Even though we might see a little bit of an inflation in open rates due to Apple, there's really no reason to change to a click-based or action-based only segmentation right now, unless you already have that planned. So um, just keep suppressing those that haven't shown an open. And then in the new year, we'll talk more and I'll probably have new recommendations then. Thanks, Rachel. One takeaway that I have, and when we were meeting and going through the data, Deb, you said something that was really interesting. I, I had never thought of. You had said, what is the plan for organizations if another channel disruption happens? And no one could have predicted in 2020 that peer-to-peer -peer fundraising events wouldn't be able to be held in person. 
that canvassing to acquire new monthly donors was going to come to close to a, a standstill. Nobody could have predicted that. But what if it happens with other channels? What what if it happens with digital advertising and something happens from a privacy perspective where you can no longer target your past donors or constituents or lookalike audiences? What if something happens from an email perspective where inbox placement suddenly goes haywire and it's it's drastically changed? And, and Deb, you spoke about having the ability to quickly pivot, have plans in place to reallocate budget, reallocate strategies to other channels. And I think that's part of the lesson of 2020 is the organizations who were able to take the budget, maybe they had invested in canvassing or in events, and, and maybe they had never tried uh, online advertising, social advertising, digital advertising, and, and, and they went down that road and they acted quickly. Um, having those plans in place, having backups, if we do see a disruption like this, because it, it could happen. It happened in 2020. We'll probably never see um, this type of disruption again for a long time. But what if there are other channel disruptions? How can you quickly move to be in front of your constituents during important times, especially during emergency giving? So with that, Eric, I'm going to uh, let you chime in here with a, a quick um, a quick bit on organizations benchmarking themselves, how they can do that. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I was just going to wrap it up just by saying, you know, again, reiterating that point that I made at the beginning, because I don't think it can be said enough of, you know, your own benchmarks are really your the best ones that you have as an organization. And if you haven't started looking at this data before, um, I would say, uh you know, now's, now's the time, especially as we start coming up on year end, um, take a look at how you've been performing this year and use that data to help inform uh, how you're going to end 2021 on a, on a strong note. Uh, you can, for those of, of you who haven't found your way online to the report yet, uh, it can be found at lobenchmark.blackbud.com. Thanks, Eric. And that's going to wrap up this session. I appreciate all of our guests, Rachel, Deb, and Eric joining me today. It's been fun talking with you smart people as always. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of SG Engage.